Hello, my name is uh, Jeff Parrish. I'm the senior pastor here at Indian Rocks. And I just want to say thank you to you for tuning in today uh, through our live streaming through the internet for our services. And uh, we are glad that you are watching. And uh, I'm going to tell you about a couple of things that we have here at the church. Uh, we are very much a purpose-driven church. Why do we exist? The reason we exist is to make disciples, as the scriptures teach us. But we have a thing that's called C4, which lists out the different things that we want to, we want to do. Uh, C1 is connecting with God, which is part of what uh, the reason that we do this uh, live streaming is to give people the opportunity to find out what the scripture says and what it means to have a relationship with God. It's pretty incredible to think about the relationship, having a relationship with the God who created you. But the second purpose is a place for people to connect with each other. And I can't tell you how important that is uh, because it's more than just being educated in the scriptures. It's finding a place that you, that you fit, that you connect. We have, a, we have a lot of small groups and all kinds of different shapes and sizes that reach out to different ages and different stages of life. And I'd really encourage you to check in to, to plugging into a small group because you'll never feel apart until you find a place to fit in. So anyway, thank you for watching today, and, uh, and I hope to see you soon. Fantastic. Hey, it's great to see you guys today. Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 37. And you know, it has really been on my heart to share with you guys just this, for, and we'll finish next week, but I wanted to take three or four weeks and just talk through forgiveness because it's, as you'll see, it's, it comes clear today. It's one thing to know about forgiveness. It's one thing to have forgiveness. But where the freedom comes is when you experience forgiveness. And to me, that's not something, it, it, it can be a one moment thing, but it, it becomes a direction more than more than fireworks that go off in the sky. And so I just wanted to let you see kind of the, I don't know, just the, the biblical picture of this because foundationally, grace, mercy, forgiveness, these are, these are what the Bible is all about. These are what it means to be a believer. And if you're not a believer here today, then it's something I promise that you're seeking for. So it just is a, it's just a great thing to talk about. And let me give you just a little bit of a review. This won't this won't take long, but basically I've been talking about just three ways, you know, uh, over the last few weeks, three ways to overcome unforgiveness in your life. We found out that it's, it's, it's really a multifaceted thing and that those who harbor unforgiveness, uh, they put themselves in their own jail cell. And it winds up affecting you, it winds up affecting people around you that you love the most it winds up being really a difficult thing, this unforgiveness, because it never just stays unforgiveness. You know, it turns into other things. It turns into to, to vengeance. It turns into bitterness. And there's really nothing quite as ugly as, as bitterness. And so, and then it, then it turns into hatred. And, and then usually you, you kind of keep people at a distance because that's not going to happen to me again. And then then it turns into loneliness. It, it, has, it has a whole lot that goes with it. And so, anyway, so I've just, I've really, really, again, very much looking forward to, to the next couple of weeks. But and just obviously as we think about three ways to overcome unforgiveness in your life, let me just, this is all review. Just to kind of put back in your brain kind of where we've been 
and I'm going to make this quick. So there's no way, if you're interested in some of the things I'm about to talk about, then you'll have to listen to the last couple of weeks, all right? But obviously three ways. The first way, when you understand, uh, when you're understanding this picture is to understand God's forgiveness for you, okay? Understand God's forgiveness for you. That, that to me is number one step. That to me is the most important thing. Because unless you've understood, that do, it doesn't mean you may be a believer and you may have God's forgiveness, but that doesn't mean you've learned, you've experienced it or you've learned to live in it. Therefore, God's forgiveness for you then drives you on, empowers you, spurs you on to be forgiving to those around you. Whenever you lose perspective of his forgiveness for you, then, then it's easy to not forgive others around you, including you forgiving you. I have found that at least half of you in here, and then just as many people in here as there are watching on the internet, I have found that at least half of you don't struggle as much with forgiving others as you do with forgiving yourself. And it's the same, it's the same concept, it just is more inward. Those that struggle forgiving others, they get angry and bitter and those things towards others. But those, that's why it's so self-destructive. But those who have a struggle forgiving themselves, they struggle with guilt. They struggle with self-hatred. They struggle with bitterness towards self, uh, always downing themselves, always putting, you know, putting themselves down, just like those who have trouble forgiving others, putting others down, slander in the other way. So again, this whole thing has huge impacts on you personally, okay? Far more than you realize, and so I cannot tell you how important it is for you to understand God's forgiveness for you. If you're having a hard time forgiving others, if you're having a hard time forgiving you, then you may want to see if you've truly put your faith and trust in Christ and received his forgiveness. I mean, I, I don't want to put doubts in your mind, but the power to forgive comes to those who have been forgiven. And those who realize it and live in the freedom of it. So when you take that, again, this is just review. It's understanding his forgiveness, living in the freedom of it. Number two, God expects those, okay? There is an expect, if you're a believer here today, there is an expectation in your life that God has for you that you not only forgive others, but you, you forgive yourself, and you're going you're gonna to see it perfectly today, okay? I don't have to go into a whole lot of that because it, it comes up as a great illustration in here. But he, it's an expectation he has of you, okay? And number three, understand the freedom that that forgiveness brings, okay? Because once you've gotten a taste of freedom, it really is good, right? It's incredible, right? So let me go ahead and jump into what I want to share with you today. Genesis, you can take a look at the Genesis chapter in chapter 37. Today is just one big illustration, Okay, it's just one big story with some things to learn at the end. That's why I've entitled today an example of forgiveness. Okay, we're just, I'm just gonna talk you through and, and we're gonna look at Joseph's life. There is not a person in the Bible that gives you a better illustration of forgiveness. In fact, we just spent the whole summer doing Joseph's life, really one chapter at a time. And, uh, but this is going to be much different. This is going to be a big picture, and we're only going to look at Joseph's life just to see what we learn from, from, from and what about forgiveness. Now, remember this. The scriptures teach us 
uh, about the scriptures, that, uh, that they are there for us to learn, not only about who God is, but about his relationship dealings with us and about things that we can learn about ourselves. And Joseph's life is, is one of the greatest of those. It's definitely one we have the most information about. So here's what I would like to do. I'm just going to, we're going to read some of this passage. And I just, here's, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to turn on, okay, if you haven't yet. And I want you to think as we, as I talk through the story, as we read through a little bit of it, I want you to think what you can learn from Joseph about forgiveness and what God wants you to learn about it. Because I'm going to point a lot out along the way. And it's pretty overwhelming when you begin to see it. But I want to put it fresh on your mind before I start telling you those things. So, so, so this, is, this, is one of those, this is one of those times, let's just, just, let's, just, let's just story tell a little bit, okay? It all begins way back when, right? And uh, we're not going to read the scriptures far back. It all begins with Abraham. The world was in a pretty tough state. God was planning to do something. It is God's work in our life that makes the difference. And so God saw down, reached down, out and reached, reached down and reached out to a man by the name of Abraham and made a lot of promises to him. There's not, we can't go into all of it. Uh, in fact, I did a whole summer one time uh, where we just talked about Abraham's story. It was really, it's really a, a cool story. But God made a lot of promises to Abraham and said, Abraham, through you, I'm gonna make a real difference in this world. Through you, the entire world's going to be blessed. And obviously it was. He was going to be the father of many nations and on and on and on it goes. Well, his, his son was Isaac. And the promises that God reaffirmed with Isaac. And then Isaac obviously got married and he had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Okay, Esau kind of went another direction, but Jacob became the one that God's promises was, were going to follow through. And through a series of events, Jacob, who God later renamed Israel, which is where the nation gets its name today, from that, from that grandson of Abraham, you have, this, you have this Jacob. He had 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel, as you read about all through the Old Testament. And, uh, and it was an interesting story. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, had, he, had a, he, had a, he had two wives, Jacob did. Interesting story. Uh, we talked about it in the summer. Uh, and they were sisters. Oh, Lord, can you imagine? All right? Oh, Lord, can you imagine? Because uh, sisters have a hard time getting along anyway, but can you imagine? Both of them being married to the same man. Now, that doesn't make it right, but it is what happened. And, and, but Jacob loved the younger sister, Rachel. But the way the father deceived him, and I don't know how this happened, but the way the father deceived him is that the older, Leah, the older sister, somehow when, when he worked seven years for the younger sister, Rachel, somehow the dad slipped in the older sister at the marriage. I don't know how that would, that's going to be a question I ask, you know, Jacob, how in the world do you marry the wrong woman, all right? Now, we, sometimes we think they're the wrong woman or wrong man after they get married, right? But, but how do you raise the actual, the wrong one? And so, anyway, so it's a series of events. But anyway, what happened was, so, but that plays into this. Because Jacob loved Rachel, didn't really care for Leah as much. And yet, after he's married to both of them, Leah begins to have lots of children. 
Rachel doesn't have any. And so that causes its own problems. And, you know, and Leah keeps saying, well, maybe my husband will love me now. Maybe my husband will love me now. And it, it breeds this contention. Well, finally, after lots and lots and lots of years, Rachel is expecting. And, and she gives birth to Joseph. And you can't help but show favoritism. I'm here to tell you the polygamists, you know, that try to say that that's the way, it is not the way. It's never the way God intended it to have more than, than, than one spouse. It just is not it because of the, just the sheer, imagine the problems. And so Jacob loved Rachel and therefore he loved this little boy and showed favor. It wasn't Joseph's fault, but it, it was who he was. And so basically, Leah, all of Leah's children couldn't stand Joseph. So you got this dynamic that's going on. This will all play into it because you need to see it. So Joseph grows up and, and uh, he's 17 years old and Jacob is just enamored. The dad is just enamored with Joseph and kind of makes him in charge of everything. Imagine, here's a 17-year-old kid. He's got brothers in their 30s, late 20s and 30s, and he's in charge. I'm sure that went over well. And so, and so what happened was, again, we're gonna pick up the story right here. And, but what happened was, is that Jacob looks at Joseph and says, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers and see how they're doing. They were shepherds. So they were far and wide looking for places for the sheep to graze. And so he sends them out just to check on them, take some things to them, some food and different things. And so Joseph is, Joseph is going out and he's looking for them. And finally, he, he, he finds out where they are and he's headed to them. And now we pick up the story here in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 19. And so as Joseph was coming, they, they basically, they said to one another, these are the brothers, they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Now you know that Joseph had had these dreams about different things and, and while they were God that give, gave him the dreams, you know, he kind of shared them and, and it didn't make him popular among his brothers, right? And, uh, and here's what they said. They said, come now, let us kill him. Okay, that's pretty drastic, right? You got your 17-year-old brother walking across the field towards you, and you're in your 20s, late 20s, perhaps 30, and, and here comes, and, and, and you're conspiring to kill him. But see, that's what, that's what hatred and bitterness does. It leads you to do things that, that aren't good. But anyway, so, so anyway, basically, let's kill him, let's throw him in one of these pits, and let's just say that a wild animal, okay, has devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. <laughs> that kind of thing, right? And so Joseph came to his brothers, okay? And they stripped him of this coat of many colors because his father had given it. it was, therefore, Joseph was wearing this very, really nice coat. It wasn't the fact that it was a, a coat of many colors. It was the fact that it was a coat that not a worker wore. Therefore, Joseph wasn't doing any of the work. He was overseeing, supervising. That's why he had the coat. So it, they hated him and they hated the coat. So the first thing they did was strip it from him, right? And, uh, and then they took him and they threw him in a pit. And the pit was empty for there was no water in it. And then they sat down to eat. And then they saw a caravan. They looked up and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. 
okay, with their camels, and they were just bearing goods like gum, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way down to Egypt. And then Judah, one of the brothers, the fourthborn, Judah said, hey, listen, what's it gonna profit us if we kill him? Let's just sell him. Okay, well, all right, you get, that, that's how depraved. That's where hatred and bitterness will take you. Okay? And so um, he says, so let's just sell him. You know, after all, he's our brother. Okay, that's brotherly affection and love, right? And the other brother said, fine, let's, let's do it. All right? And so the Midianite traders passed by, and what did they do? They drew Joseph up, and they lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, I want you to think, as opposed to just telling a story, which I'm going to do the rest of in just a minute, I want you to be charting along with me. And I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You've tried to do what's right, okay? You've tried to do what's right by your father. You've, you've, you've been obedient and you've been, a good, you've been a good son. Just because there's jealousy there, there's really not your fault. And you have these brothers that actually that you heard them plot to kill you. And instead of killing you, they sold you into slavery. And now you're 17 years old, sold to a group of Midianites on their way to Egypt. And you will be enslaved for the rest of your life. Okay? I don't know about you, but that would be a hard thing to stomach. You see, put yourself in Joseph's shoes in chapter 37. He doesn't know chapter 45's coming. He's, he's right there in 37. So guys, when these things happen to us and we begin to wonder and think and we get angry and anger's gonna happen, there's nothing wrong with anger. It's what you do with anger, right? And you begin to think about those things and this churns on him the entire way to Egypt. And he gets to Egypt and they throw him up on an auction block, right? People start coming by and bidding on him. And this was once a very favored son. This was once a kid that his dad loved and now he's robbed of his childhood. Guys, there's been a lot of people in this room, a lot of people watching that have been robbed of their childhood. Guys, every, there's a whole lot of us that can relate to this story if you'll just stay tuned and listen to it because it relates and Joseph can relate to you and we can learn from him. So anyway, he's standing up and you know, there's gotta be a mixture of sadness because of what he's lost, but also anger because of the way, what they did to him. Perhaps the, the thoughts that went through his mind, if I, can, if I can ever escape, I'm gonna kill every one of them. Who knows what was going through his mind? I have no idea, but I, I guarantee you he struggled. Why? Because he was, he was a normal human being like the rest of us. So he's up on this auction block and they begin bidding on him. And Potiphar, who was the captain of the guard, which was a very high and trusted position. You have to remember that Egypt at the time was the most powerful nation of their time. It was an ancient time. And so 
And, and so Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world. Well, the captain of the guard is the, is the one who is in charge of guarding the king and the palace. So, so they're therefore highly compensated, but also highly respected. So it would make sense that Potiphar would go by and see, you know, see what they had today in the buying and selling of human beings. And so he sees this 17-year-old, well taken care of, healthy kid. So it makes sense that a guy like Potiphar would buy Joseph. So he buys him. But again, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. He doesn't know what's going to happen. All he knows is his life has totally been turned around and he's been thrown into a country that he can't even speak the language. He's been bought by a man who's gonna, who's just gonna put him to, put him to work. I just find it incredible because he gets to Potiphar's house, probably starts at the bottom, he's only 17, and um, probably scrubbing pots and, and cook, perhaps cooking, perhaps working in the field. We just don't know. But it, we do know this, is that Joseph decided that if he was going to be here, he was going to, he was going to be who he was supposed to be. You know, Joseph, in order to do what he did, he had to deal with himself first and all of the struggles and anger and probably things that were going through him. But obviously, he dealt with it because he decided to be the best servant he could be. And it wasn't long before he rose into the ranks and, and of one of the most powerful men and families in Egypt. And now he'd risen to the point to where he's probably 22 years old, 21 years old, and he's in charge of the entire estate. It, said, it says in the scriptures that Potiphar didn't even know what he owned. All that Potiphar knew was the food he ate every night. Joseph took care of everything else. So Joseph is, Joseph, is, Joseph is being who he's supposed to be in spite of what he's been through. Well, Joseph, for the time he was in, there was a curse on his life. He was a good-looking guy. And this good-looking guy in his 20s, Potiphar's wife, becomes infatuated with him. And as you know the story, she propositions him and... Um, wants to have sexual relationships with him, a relationship with him. He refuses, and, um, and he basically says, how can I sin against God, and, and how can I sin against Potiphar, who has done so much for me and who trusts me completely? All right? Joseph, pretty stand-up guy. But anyway, I mean, he tries to stay out of the house, and he tries to stay away from her as much as he can, and but eventually it's going to happen. He's in the house alone with her. She grabs him, right? And she basically says, come to bed with me, all right? And, and Joseph, she, and he leaves his outer coat with her and runs out into the street. And, and then she accuses him of rape and or attempted rape and to Potiphar. Well, Potiphar's the captain of the guard. He has his own prison. And so Joseph is thrown into prison and, you know, how long do you think a foreign kid is going to be in prison for attempted rape of a high official's wife? Things just seem to go from bad to worse for Joseph. And, now, and, and, and listen, in this case, he had done nothing wrong. His being sold into slavery was not his fault. His being accused of rape and thrown into prison was because somebody lied about him. 
And all the while, he was trying to do the right thing. I've heard people say doing the right thing's overrated. You know, I understand that because doing the right thing doesn't necessarily always mean it's going to turn out well. But the great thing about it is you will be free in here. But I tell you what, it's a, it's a tough thing. And so now he's in prison, right? He is stuck in a prison cell and he's, and he's got to think you have to remember he doesn't know how it's all going to work out. All he knows is, is that he is probably going to be in prison for the rest of his life. And so there he is, you know, and obviously he had to deal with this. Like he dealt with it with his brothers. He had to deal with the anger towards Potiphar and the anger especially towards his wife that lied about him. As he sits in that jail cell, but as we read the story, he obviously overcomes it. And uh, he begins to be trustworthy and he, begin, he rises up the rank, you know, and becomes head prisoner. I don't know what you call them, but I wouldn't call it a prestigious honor, but it's just, it's just who Joseph was. And so, so as you know, the, the rest of the story, uh, here's what happens and is that the, that it's since it's the, ca- it's the, it's the, it's the prison that the, of the captain of the guard, the king's prisoners, that is those who have offended the king, get thrown into this prison. And I don't know why, but the butler and the baker, okay, I'm gonna call him the butler. He was the cupbearer. He was a very trusted guy, but I'm gonna call him the butler. But the butler and the baker to Pharaoh get thrown into prison. I don't know how you get thrown into prison being a butler and a baker, but, but the baker, maybe the food stunk one day. I have no idea. Maybe burned the biscuits. I, you know, what, what do you do as a baker to get thrown into prison? I don't have any idea, but he did. And the butler, what did he do? I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe he spilled the wine on the fair. I don't know. But he gets thrown in there too. And, and so now they're in there. And since Joseph is kind of a trustee or whatever you want to call him, uh, one of the head prisoners, it's part of him to take care of these two. And, and so he walks in and Joseph asks the question, hey, what's wrong? And, and they both said they've been having these dreams. And um, just to cut it real short is that, You've, you've got the best butler and baker and, the, and, and Joseph interpreted the dreams for them and, and, uh, and the baker, he basically looked at him and said, I got bad news for you. You're not ever leaving this prison, all right? Or when they do take you out of here, you're going to be executed. What must, he must have been a real bad baker, all right? Uh, and he said to the butler, I got good news for you. You're gonna be restored to your former office. And it happened just like they said. And Joseph looked at this guy and said, hey, would you remember me because I've done nothing wrong to be where I am? And so it happened just as Joseph said, and the butler went back, and what did the butler do? He forgot. He forgot. And so Joseph is there. For 13 years, Joseph, from the age of 17 to the age of 30, he went from, some believe anywhere from six to seven years as a slave, and around five years to six years as a, as a prisoner. And you know, you look at those 13 years and there's lots of reason to get angry and, uh, and to get bitter at, at the people around you. Also, you begin to ask yourself a question, God, where were you in all this? Anybody ever been there before? So you have a perfect picture, a perfect story for us to learn a whole lot from. 
So let me finish it up and then we'll get to some of the things that we can take with us, right? So anyway, so what happens is, is that the, you know, the butler goes back and he starts, you know, waiting on the king and everything. And so, and so the king, the king, that is Pharaoh, begins to have these dreams himself and, and he doesn't understand what, so he, what they mean. So he brings everybody in. Nobody can help him. Nobody can help him. And finally, it, it's like the butler was like, oh yeah, the guy in prison. So he goes and he tells Pharaoh about, hey, there was this guy when I was, you know, when you put me in prison and, uh, and we told him, our, and he's, he, he told us exactly what happened and it happened. Pharaoh said, bring him. It's amazing how God can work through things and things that you think are so bad and so horrible, he can turn them around. It's incredible how that works. But for only for those who have the eyes to see, and usually the eyes of forgiveness see a whole lot better than those of vengeance. It's a tough thing to understand, but it is the truth because our world does not value forgiveness. Our world puts on a pedestal vengeance. That's why all the movies end with the bad guy getting it in the neck. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, that kind of a thing, right? So anyway, so they send for Joseph. Joseph shows up and he's 30 years old by this time and he's standing before the most powerful man in the world. And Pharaoh said, hey, I hear that you have a gift. And, and Joseph said, listen, I know you've had a dream and, and I'll tell you what it means, but know this, it's not me who does it. It's God who, who shows it to me, or I, couldn't, or I wouldn't be able to do it. So when he begins thinking through those things, it's incredible that, that, that Pharaoh then begins to tell him the story. And Joseph said, okay, here's what it means. And Joseph begins to say, hey, listen, there's going to be seven years of plenty. I mean, you're going to have seven years of bumper crops and great economy, and there's just going to be an overabundance it's during that time that people become wasteful, right? Buying things they don't need and all of the rest. And he says, but as soon as that happens, there's going to be seven years of famine and, and, and the people are going to suffer because they won't, they won't, they won't save during the good times. And um, there's great principle there that we'll have to talk about at another time, by the way, all right? And so, and so, Pharaoh, so Joseph looks back at Pharaoh and says, hey, listen, this is what God says. He's letting you know what he's about to do. And I want you to understand, Pharaoh, if I were you, I'd start building granaries. And I would start storing up all of the excess. I would start storing up not just the excess, but even dip into that a little bit. Pharaoh knew Joseph was right because it fit perfectly with the dreams he'd had. So he looks at Joseph and he says, Joseph, you're the guy to do that. Obviously, God's with you. You gotta remember, this is pagan. You've seen the gods that the Egyptians worshiped. I mean, you know, they had more gods than, than days of a month. And, and yet, the Pharaoh knew something that was about Joseph. And so he says, I want you to do it. So he takes the ring off his hand, Pharaoh. This is the ring of authority. This is the ring that's basically the unlimited credit card. This is the ring that allowed you to go anywhere you wanted to go. And he gives it to to this prisoner. And so Joseph goes from one of the lowest to one of the highest, and he puts this ring on. He begins to do what Pharaoh had asked him to do. He begins to go around the country and to build granaries. And in fact, it said that he built so many granaries 
that they were without number. So they stored all of this excess up. And when the famine came, they were ready. People began to cry out, we're out of food, we're out of food. Pharaoh said, go to Joseph. They went to Joseph. Joseph had located the granaries throughout the country so that people could go to their own local one and get them. And, 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 it, and, and then other nations came in and, and Egypt became a powerful and an extremely wealthy nation after this. But somewhere through this, by the way, I just want, want to attend this. Can you imagine that when he takes off the ring, hands it to Joseph, now you're second in charge, you're second command. I am the only one that's over you when, when Pharaoh looks at him. And can you imagine that when Potiphar goes home one day after work, he says, honey, you remember Joseph, right? He says, you remember the guy that you said tried to rape you? Well, I hope you were telling the truth because now he's my boss. It's amazing how things come around, right? Right? So anyway, and then you can imagine next, probably a couple of years into the famine, his brothers run out of food, his family. He doesn't know this, but now they're standing in front of him. And, and Joseph, they're at his mercy. He is, the, he, he is the second in command of the most powerful nation, and he has the power of life and death in his hands. He can have them all executed as spies if he wants to. And so he looks at them. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. It's been a lot of years. Joseph is probably 38, 39, maybe almost 40. They hadn't seen him since he was 17. Plus, if you've ever seen Egyptians in pictures, they look a little different than Hebrews do. So they didn't recognize him. He recognized them, though. And he tested them to find out what men they'd become because Benjamin was his little brother. And so he knew he was going to be favored like he was. So he wanted to see what kind of men they'd become. And so he tested them through a series of events and they wound up passing. They wound up being self-sacrificing to try to save Benjamin. And so after all the tests were done, Joseph, Joseph was standing there with them and in chapter 45, verse 1, it says that Joseph, he could not control himself any longer. And he said, and he stood by and he said, I want everyone out of here except me and them. And so no one stayed when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, okay? And, and he wept out loud. The emotions flowed out of him. Because you can imagine that would be an emotional time. And, and basically, it's so much that the Egyptians heard it, and so did Pharaoh, right? And, uh, and Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph, okay? Is my father still alive? And his brothers couldn't answer because they were dismayed, okay? That word for dismayed is the word for terrified. You can bet. They were terrified at his presence. Well, yeah, this man has... If you'd sold the guy into slavery who was the second most powerful man in Egypt of which he was now standing over you, they were terrified and probably should have been. And he said to his brothers, I want you to come near to me. And, uh, and they did. I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And, uh, you know, guys, I want you to hear this. Joseph had to have already forgiven them before they stood there. If he hadn't, he couldn't have done what he did, right? 
that shows me that you don't have to have the person apologize. You don't have to have the person even come to you to be able to forgive them. Even Jesus forgave those from the cross, right? They weren't asking for forgiveness. So forgiveness is not, it's not dependent on anybody else. It's really your, your choice. But obviously, he'd already forgiven them and forgotten long about it as far as any kind of vengeance. Because he says, and now do not be distressed. This is classic. I want you to hear this. Don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves. I don't know about you. I may forgive them, but I do want them to be angry at themselves. Right? But Joseph, it's incredible. He says, because you sold me here. For God sent me ahead to preserve your life. In other words, I'm doing what I'm doing because your lives needed saving. I've seen it. God showed that to me. So he fell upon Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. That's his brother. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them, and after that they talked. You know, you go on to look after that when the report came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was thrilled. Pharaoh was absolutely thrilled that Joseph's family was here. So now Pharaoh can show kindness, he thinks, to Joseph for all that Joseph has done for him. And so these brothers, I want you to look at that. Joseph's brothers have come and it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And basically Pharaoh said two or three different times, they're gonna have the best. They're gonna eat from the fat of the land. They're going to have everything. And they had everything because of Joseph. So therefore, not only were they forgiven, but grace was extended. Forgiveness is hard, but grace is even harder. What is grace? Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Forgiveness is being loosed of the debt that you're owed. So you put all these things together. You know, he tells them, hey, go back and get all your stuff. You know, get your families, everything, but don't bring anything. Just, I'm gonna, you're going to have all new stuff. And so the most powerful, wealthy man in the world becomes your best friend, or at least because of Joseph. You know, can you imagine that Joseph go, could, would go to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, I appreciate you doing all that. But do you know what these guys did to me? Okay, maybe a shack they can live in and bread and water, but not what you're gonna do for them. You see, I just want you to see it. And plus the whole parallel here of Joseph and Jesus, right? Joseph, who was the beloved son of the father, who was hated by his brothers, who was betrayed by Judah, Judas, who suffered, right, on behalf of others so that he might rise to a position to be able to save them. For those of you who have ears to hear, you need to hear it. Forgiveness, it's foundational. So what happens after that? Well, let's get to it quickly. Well, basically they come, they live in Egypt, everything is great, but then Jacob dies. So they go back home and they, and they, uh, and they bury Jacob and then they all come back to Egypt and then the brothers get paranoid. Take a look in uh, verse in chapter 50. 
says this, when brothers, Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead and said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. <laughs> They're thinking that Joseph was only waiting until dad died before he really zapped him good. And you know, it's interesting. This may be hard to hear, but the evil that you think others have many times is what you would have done in their place. So be real careful how you judge others because you might be judging yourself. So what did they think? They thought, well, now that dad's gone, he's definitely gonna get back at us. And they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. That's a lie. It's like a child's lie. It's so easy to see. Your father gave us this command, say to Joseph, please forgive your brothers, you know, and the sin that they've, uh, and because all the evil they did to you, so please forgive their transgressions, uh, you know, and Jacob is saying, because of me, you're dad, you know, and it was all a big lie. And, um, and Joseph wept. Joseph wept. It bothered him that they would think that he would be like that. And he spoke to them. His brothers, and they came down, right? You know, they're emotionally in a tizzy. They throw themselves down. Behold, we're your servants. And it's like, oh, gosh. And then Joseph reassures them again and says, listen, don't fear. He says, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good, which is a powerful thought, that many people could be saved, a whole family, in fact. But Joseph wept at that wine. Because while the brothers were forgiven, they weren't living in the freedom of that forgiveness. Does that make sense? You may be forgiven today, but the greater question is, have you learned to live in that forgiveness? I've got to be done, but there's a few things I'd like to share with you just to kind of walk down. And if you'd like to write these down, these are things that I'd want you to ponder, things that apply to you. And they go, through, they go really quickly. Number one, Joseph knew what hurt and pain was all about. Guys, I know, because I talk to a lot of people, I know what people go through. I know what a lot of you've gone through. And if I don't know specifically, I know. Because if there's, for every person I talk to, there's 20 others that I haven't talked to. But I'm here to tell you, a lot of times people say, well, Jeff, they don't deserve my forgiveness. And you're right, because forgiveness by its very nature is undeserved. But I'm here to tell you, it will set you free. But I tell you what, Joseph could relate with you. He knew what hurt and, hurt and pain were. Number two, Joseph had good reasons not to forgive. I mean, if anybody didn't, believe, didn't, didn't deserve it, these brothers didn't. And not only, but even if, they, if, even if I forgive them, I'm not going to let them live off the fat of the land as a reward for what they did to me. Joseph had to have had some kind of forgiving nature. And guys, it's a nature. It's an attitude more than it is an action. But I mean, look at all they did to him. And yet Joseph, number three, he kept his life open and clean so God could work. I'm here to tell you, that's not an easy thing to do. What do you mean by open? Open, I mean, you know, it's real easy when you've been hurt and you've been sinned against quite a bit. You can, you can become a closed person. Does that make sense? 
and you keep everybody at arm's length and you want people to, to care for you, but it's kind of hard to hug a porcupine. You know what I mean? And, but that's what happens. And usually unforgiving people put calluses or at least walls up. And then so they become very isolated and lonely. But see, Joseph kept himself open and clean. That is, he wouldn't let those wounds fester so that God could work in his life. I believe it made Joseph the man that he was, his ability to forgive. Because think of how much different his life would have been if he hadn't. Number four, Joseph was free to succeed. God can do great things in people's lives if they're open and willing. But it's hard when you're in a jail cell called unforgiveness, right? Number five, Joseph's forgiveness kept him from bad decisions. Guys, I'm here to tell you, when you go down those roads of unforgiveness and bitterness and anger, you would do better making decisions flipping a coin. Because when you're in that state of mind, it seems like every decision's a bad one. And if Joseph had been living in the unforgiveness and bitterness, I'm here to tell you, I believe with all my heart, he would have slept with Potiphar's wife. Why? Well, yeah, I'm not going down that road again. You know, doing what's right's overrated, you know? Because the state of mind that unforgiveness puts you in, it just seems to line you up with bad decisions. Interesting. Number six, forgiveness frees you in your relationships. As I'm here to tell you, you cannot have a close relationship with anyone unless forgiveness is part of it. Why? Because all of us are gonna hurt one another. The greatest marriages in the world are those who were both are forgiving. Okay, both are forgiving. Why? Because that person's gonna need your forgiveness and the closer you get, the more forgiveness is going to be needed. It's amazing how that works. And number seven, God can use your forgiveness for good as a testimony to others. You know, God used Joseph in an unbelievable way, an unbelievable way. But it also was a picture of who Jesus is and what he was going to do. And so as I close, you never know. Uh, I met a lady last night and she said it was fine, I'm not gonna share her name, but she just walked through a childhood of abuse, all kinds of abuse, terrible abuse. And, but here she was, you know, probably in her late 60s and, and she had such peace in her face as she was telling me these things. I said, well, tell me how you got to where you got. I asked her this just last night. And she said, God's forgiveness for me. And I knew I had to forgive them. And there she was. I mean, as she recounted all of it, there was no hurt left. There was no anything left but peace. That's what God can do in your life. And it's a miraculous thing, especially in the day in which we live, a day of vengeance. Vengeance will never get to that peace, guys. Never. So as I close today, there's never been a time in your life you've understood God's forgiveness, then there'll be some folks up here who'd love to talk to you about who Christ is and what he came. It's a picture of what Joseph did, same thing. If you are a believer here today, guys, I'm here to tell you, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's the direction you want to head in because you need to experience the freedom he's already given to you.
It's the road. So we'll finish this, this, uh, this up next week. All right, let's all stand. We'll have a closing word of prayer. Hey, guys, I'm going to head back to the guest reception. Hey, it's so good to have you all here today. And if you're, especially if you're a guest, well, stop by and say hello to me. I'd love to get a chance to meet you. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, uh, have a wonderful day. All right, Dan, why don't you close this?